Sandoval, and this is GradCast. With fewer clear milestones, isolating independence, and the feeling of high expectations, graduate school is difficult. Recently, a study was published in Nature Biotechnology, which found that graduate students are more than six times as likely to experience depression and anxiety as compared to the general population. In this season, we are addressing mental health in graduate school. We interview both students and faculty here at WashU to share their stories and advice regarding mental wellness. We hope you find the conversations presented here to be helpful in your own life for acknowledging, addressing, and maintaining mental health during your time in graduate school and beyond. Have you ever been afraid that you don't belong? That you don't deserve things that you have? That your abilities don't match up? You might have been experiencing what's known as imposter syndrome. Sometimes referred to as imposter phenomena, imposter syndrome is a type of intellectual self-doubt where people live in anxiety and fear, fixate on mistakes, and constantly worry about being exposed as a fraud. The worst part is that it's been described as a silent suffering, as talking about it might be exposing in itself. In today's episode, I talk about imposter syndrome with Joel Dalton a Diversity and Student Affairs Coordinator at Washington University School of Medicine. And together, we take a closer look into what it is, its effect on mental health, and ways we can shine some light on this hidden hardship. Joel Dalton, welcome to GradCast. It's great to have you on the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm Joel Dalton. Uh, I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. I am a, the Coordinator for Diversity and Student Affairs in the Division of Biology and Biomedical Sciences um, in the School of Medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. Mouthful, right? Um, but uh, So before I worked at um, the University of Missouri-Columbia at the Women in Engineering Center. Um, and uh, I, while I was there, I pursued um, a master's degree in higher ed administration and leadership. Um, I sort of focused on social justice and diversity education. I sort of provide advising to the different student groups here in DBBS. Um, I help provide guidance on different diversity initiatives. Um, I help with our IMSD grant-funded um, retention program. Um, and then I also help out with our summer research programs, our undergraduate summer research programs. Cool. Can you, can you define IMSD for us? Yeah, IMSD is the Initiative for Maximizing Student Development, um, and it is a, a grant-funded retention program we have here for our URM students. Um, yeah, it's a really great community. You know, how, how do you define mental health? So, uh, when I saw this question, I initially was like, I mean, I have what it personally means to me. Yeah. Um, but the, the official definition, I was like, I'm actually not 100% sure. Um, so I, I went up and just looked up what uh, a couple of different definitions were of mental health. And I really liked the World Health Organization's definition, which was mental health is defined as a state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her or their own potential, can cope with their normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to, con to make a contribution to his or her or their community. And I was like, that one sits well with me. That one's really cool. I think that one really focuses on like health of the person. Um, personally to me, um, I felt like mental health was finding a balance between boundaries 
sending, uh, having positive psychology, mindfulness, and a growth mindset. When, when we're talking about mental health, um, I talk to people about, you know, what, what are the words that you're saying to yourself? You know, what's the stories that you're te telling yourself? Because I think a lot of times when we get caught up in sort of like negative psychology um, or not healthy city setting healthy boundaries with ourselves or others, um, we can really start to put ourselves in a path where um, we're not going to be mentally healthy. We're not going to be happy with what's going on in our lives. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, being mindful and just being aware of it every once in a while, it, it, it helps you to just remember that your mind is an organ too, right? Yeah. So like I'm a I'm just a meat brick walking around <laughs> being controlled by this weird little meat organ that is doing its thing. Like what? <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean sometimes I, I know that on the internet there's like sort of like a very jokingness around mental health. Yeah, um, there is. Yeah. But uh, which I think sometimes can be can be toxic, and then sometimes also can be really positive and sort of like demystifying this mental health thing. But I don't know if you've seen the internet. This thing is like my mind's a prison. <laughs> um, but you know, um, I, I do sometimes think that our minds are a little bit like prisons, and like we need to sometimes sort of like shine some light in there and kind of, mm. kind of like. Learn digestible ways to cope with our own heads, you know? Yeah, that, right, yeah, okay, so yeah, so how do you, how, how do you, uh, how do you shine some light in your... So, mind? so for different days, it's, it's different things. So like when I, when I think about myself, sort of like a previous version of myself, like a little bit, a little bit further back in my journey of um, self-awareness, of building up a positive psychology around myself, around finding sort of like a balance and finding boundaries with other people. Um, you know, I think, I think the hardest thing for me was starting with that positive psychology. So like building up sort of like, I do do good things. Like I am a good person. Like I do, I, I do good. Like I can create good. Right. Um, so like a, like I'm not inherently evil or bad. Um, which I think a lot of times, like a lot of us are just like, we're never enough. We're never achieving that. We're, we're never good enough. You know, we have that, we have that story in our head and the, our little inner saboteur that's always saying, you know, well, you're, yeah, you got an A on this test, but this other person got a higher A, you know, right. you're always comparing yourself to others. You're always never really, never really allowing yourself to shine. Um, so I think, I think a positive psychology was a big, th was a big thing for me. And so something that I did to sort of like challenge my positive or my previously negative psychology, work out that positive psychology muscle. Um, was, you know, I, I, had a, I had a therapist at one time sort of say to me, you know, Joel, what are things that you like about yourself? And I sort of like paused and I was like, <laughs> oh gosh, I hadn't really ever thought about like writing down things that I really like about myself. Um, so what, what the challenge was for me at that time was to create affirmation for myself in daily life. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I ended up doing was I bought a shade of lipstick that I really, really liked. Right. Um, and I started writing every day um, for probably about two weeks. Something that I like myself on my mirror to create kind of like a circle around really? it. Really? An wow. affirmation circle. Okay. And then, you know, wow. at the end of your two weeks, you kind of have this like, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and then sort of like every day you have this like positive message about yourself. 
Um, so it sort of like reaffirms something nice about you, but then at the same time you're like, look at all these things that I like about myself, and look, you start really believing them, you know? Um, so, so I think that's a really good way to sort of start to build up some positive psychology, whether that's about your physicality, like your physical body, whether that's about your mind, whether that's about the way you look or whatever. Um, it, but I think that's a really good way that people can start to sort of really tangibly start to say, okay, I like these things about me, and I know that I like these things about me. Um, so I would say that that's one way where I sort of started. And then, you know, another thing that, that I kind of did too um, was learning how to set boundaries. Right. Um, yeah. Learning how to say no. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think that's something that I'm I'm still learning, still growing with. Um, but I think is something that really, really has helped immensely, especially as a sort of younger professional um, trying to trying to make it happen. I think along with this sort of like imposter syndrome conversation that we're going to have. Um, you know, I think the. I think setting boundaries is so, so important. So, you know, being being able and willing to sort of say, hey, that doesn't work for me. Right. Um, or, you know, mm, let's think about this in another way. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times, uh, especially sort of like in, in the household that I was raised in um, and, and the things that I was told as a young kid, um, was sort of always like, be really grateful for all the experiences you get and all the opportunities that you have. And so when an opportunity arises, kind of like jump on it because you never know if something else is going to happen. Um, but sometimes you sort of have to say like, is this something that's going to, is this something that's going to be good for me? Like, do I have time for this? Like, is this something that is going to take space in my life? And then also like, is this a thing that fills up my cup or empties my cup? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, starting to think about, you know, is this something I want in my space? Is this someone I want in my space? Um, so I think I think having boundaries is something that is is really difficult, really hard, um, but and and telling people no can be a very difficult thing. Um, but learning to say no and learning to set boundaries can can really help a lot in sort of creating this sort of like positive or good mental health that you need, um, because if not. People aren't going to treat you in the way that you want to be treated. People aren't going to aren't going to respect the things that you want respected. Right. Um, so boundaries and communication are like a huge, huge component. Yeah, and I think those two, kind of the affirmation circle and boundaries, I think they basically they feed into each other, right? Like mm -hmm. if you keep telling yourself what you like about yourself, you also and having boundaries, you know what boundaries or what to say no to because they're going to affect the things that you like about yourself right yeah so it's yeah that's, I think that's a pretty good system Joel. and setting you know setting a healthy boundary for yourself too of like i'm actually you know like sometimes you know i think you know positive psychology there's there's limits to that you know you can't always be positive um so you know sometimes i even find myself now um and I recognize myself starting to go either negative or starting to, you know, hear my inner saboteur a little bit louder. And so, you know, some days it's like, you know what, I actually need to set a boundary with myself and I need to remove myself from the situation because I feel, I feel this negative Nancy coming on. And like, I don't, I don't want to be that person. Like, I don't want that, I don't want that space to sort of, I don't want to give that space any, any, any time. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's time to probably, probably step away from what I'm doing right now and, and recognize that. Yeah. So, uh, imposter phenomena, mm -hmm. right? So some people, uh, refer to it as imposter syndrome, but, um, because 
it's not officially a psychological disorder. Experts prefer to use the term phenomenon. Can you just tell me about you know how you define it and how it's defined here on campus? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's one singular definition particularly. You know, I think the okay. phenomena kind of, you know, it, it applies a lot in higher ed. Um, but, you know, it was coined by two psychologists um, in 1978 um, that sort of was talking about, um, it was a study that was talking about high-achieving women. Right. Um, and so... You know, I think I think when we talk about imposter syndrome, what we're really talking about is, you know, you, someone not feeling like, um, and especially in 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 realm of academics, um, someone not feeling like they're enough based off of where they're located. You know, right. Um, uh, and you know, I think imposter syndrome kind of goes hand in hand, at least for me, with stereotype threat. Um, particularly, can, I don't know if you're familiar with stereotype threat, but stereotype threat is, you know, if there's a stereotype that exists about a certain community or group, mm -hmm. um, that, um, you know, and especially if it's been acknowledged in a certain way, um, that, you know, the, this certain, you're, there's a tendency for people to fall into that stereotype. Um, so, like, let's say that I'm about to give a math test, and it's a group of men and women. Okay. And I say... Women are inherently worse at math, and then I hand out the test. Um, chances are that even though the women might have stronger abilities in math, um, even though the women in the classroom may have been doing better in math tests throughout the entire year, because they know that that stereotype exists, and because I have put it, brought it into that space, um, that the um, young women and girls were more likely to. Um, perform at a, at, a, at a less high of a rate. I can't remember what exactly the percent was. Um, but um, that to be said of just like if a stereotype is sort of spoken into existence that like it can be damaging to become sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and you know or, or at the very least to sort of take the focus away from what the task is at hand and have you be focusing on that stereotype instead if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, I think, I think imposter syndrome and stereotype threat go hand in hand because, you know, imposter syndrome is kind of like this, this thought process where we start to have these feelings of negative psychology, where we start to sort of feel like, I don't belong. Like, I'm not here. Like, this is not, this is not for me. This is not for people like me. Right, it's a fluke, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I got here on a complete accident. Beep, beep, boop, boop. Um, but, like, um, I, you know, I think, I think one of the things to remember is, like, that this is something that happens to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I think, I think a lot of people, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say this is something that happens to everyone. This happens to most people. And, you know, I, I think it's more surprising when I talk to people and I'm sort of talking to them about their experience and their journey. And they're like, imposter syndrome doesn't come up. Um, so, you know, I would say sort of the conversation around imposter syndrome is, A, it's a phenomenon that largely affects students who are in undergraduate and, you know, doctoral training. Yeah. So, you know, in undergraduate and grad school, this is something that people face all the time, um, particularly people of marginalized identities. Um, but even more so, I'd say within a DBBS context, the amount of conversations that I've had with individuals who are in their roles in DBBS, mm -hmm. and we're talking about imposter syndrome from our perspective of like, we're here, and we feel it, you know? Um, 
And so I think, I think it's an important phenomenon to kind of talk about, to break down, um, and to sort of like start to ask some really important questions to, to, to make sure that this doesn't create a negative psychology in yourself. Because I think imposter syndrome is one of those things that it can end people's graduate careers yeah. if, if, not, if, if not addressed in a proper way. Um, right. And, and that's, not, that's not putting the onus on, on the person who's feeling the imposter syndrome to sort of mitigate it, but it is putting the onus, it, on the very least, on graduate programs, on, on people in, in you know, graduate coordinator roles to be talking about this and to bring, bringing this to the forefront to give people skills to then cope. You know, you 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 recently have been you were in master's program, mm-hmm. and then you started here. Thankfully, joined us here at WashU. So, <laughs> what um, you know, can you talk about a little bit about you know any imposter phenomena you faced either in mass while you were in your master's or, you know, now that you're here and you have this. Yeah. Role? Um. So all the time, experienced it all the time, um, and uh, you know, I think I think something that. Um, you know, I, I kind of did that, you know, or, or that I thought was really, you know, basically the entire time I experienced imposter phenomenon syndrome, whatever we want to call it, um, in my grad program and here, um, I've always just sort of called back to, like, myself, um, and sort of like having a faith in my abilities, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of sort of like hanging on to I, I really I know I have this you know I have this component um, and re- really tying and, and centering myself to like a, a, a part of my identity um, so you know a I think I wouldn't have dealt with imposter phenomena in my grad program as well as I did if I wasn't going to therapy okay so gonna go ahead and say that right now for everyone who's listening consider looking and finding a therapist. They're really great. They'll take care of you. Um, right. you know, not, not every therapist you'll find is going to be a perfect fit for you, and every therapist is a little bit different. So finding one that fits your needs is really important, sort of going back to knowing yourself. Um, but um, therapy really helped me a lot, and if I didn't have the coping skills that I learned in therapy, I don't think I would have been successful in my graduate program, and then I wouldn't have come here. So... Um, Thank there's you, like, therapist. <laughs> yeah, like thanks therapy, um, but uh, <laughs> um, I think the the best advice I got from a, th- uh, a thesis advisor and then also from um, my therapist during graduate school um, when I was sort of trying to figure out what to do about my imposter syndrome. Uh-huh. My therapist said, "What if you just put your head down and try not to acknowledge it?" I was like, "What?" Um, and I was like, okay, yes, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, like, I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, that there are some times when imposter phenomenon becomes overwhelming, um, but then, you know, there are other times when it's just sort of like, sort of like picking away at you at, at all moments, it feels like, um, and, you know, so I, what, what I ended up doing was every time that I started to feel imposter syndrome, um, I started to journal. I just journaled and free wrote sort of like what I was feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then I closed the book and then I went back to whatever I was working on. Oh. Um, and then going back and going and looking at that um, sort of like free write at a later time. 
and sort of like trying to pick apart like what is real, what is like a real concern, and like what is this, once again, inner saboteur that's kind of like trying to tear me down. Um, and I think that was wildly helpful in sort of being able to, to get my work done, but still acknowledge my um, imposter syndrome in a way that like doesn't make it debilitating, you know? Right. Um, I think for here, it's been a little bit different. Um, for here, it's been a little bit more of uh, acknowledging um, and, and a little bit more of working outside of the my field. So, um, you know, my, my area, I would say, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, working in STEM areas is different. It's, it's not 100% not, not um, what my training was for, um, but I feel, I feel equipped and able to sort of bring um, a DE&I perspective that's a little bit different than what um, traditional STEM fields see a lot of times. What would you recommend for grad students, um, you know, when facing, you know, any kind of mental health or just, you know, the imposter phenomena? What kind of resources are there here? Okay, so resources here. We have a lot. Um, so, DBBS main office, come talk to one of us. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll connect you with resources. We'll talk to you about what your options are. We'll talk to you about, you know, how we, how we dealt with our imposter syndrome or our imposter phenomena. Um, there is student health um, or uh, Habith Health Services on Danforth campus. Um, and I would take advantage of uh, sort of any of their, um, I know that they have uh, groups um, that meet and talk about this. I know that they have graduate focused groups that meet and talk about this. Um, and I also know that they have uh, therapists and counselors who are readily available for, for you all to come speak with them. I would recommend all of that. Um, I would recommend, um, you know, when, when sort of imposter syndrome sinks its teeth in, and if you're not going to therapy, um, seek out um, some advice, either some, from some friends or go to the ombudsperson. They'll help you. They'll help you navigate sort of what you're, what you're feeling and what you're going through. Um, and then um, sort, of, sort of lastly, um, you know, um, you have each other. Like... Other, other graduate students, I think, are, are a big tool that I ended up using, too, um, in, my graduate, in my graduate training, you know. Um, just sort of talking to them, be like, hey, like, you feel like a total fluke here, right? And they're like, yeah, me too. Let's, let's yeah. be flukes together. Um, you know, and, and sort, of, sort of talking about it, um, unpacking it with friends, just sort of being like... <laughs> They made the wrong choice in the admissions process here. Um, you know, and I, I think I think just sort of talking about those things with people and normalizing that experience um, is a is one of the best ways that you can kind of like be like, okay, I'm not the only one. Like I know Sally and Joe and Fred are all feeling this as well. Um, you know, uh, and then sort of tactics that I think people can use. You know, yeah. I, I think talking to other people is great. But, um, you know, asking yourself some really hard questions. So, like, are you comparing yourselves to others unfairly? Um, you know, we've sort of talked about it. Um, but, like, asking a third party if, like, you're, if you're comparing yourself unfairly or not. Um, so, focusing on your achievements, like we sort of said, um, right. rather than focusing on comparisons or comparison of achievements. Um, I think avoiding social media. 
is a really big thing. Oh yeah. Because you can you can go through and you can see oh this fifth year got whatever or oh this other person you know got NSF or got NIH or whatever. Um, I think I think social media a lot of times there's there's a lot of negative psychology or a lot of opportunity for negative psychology to sneak its way in. So it's just best to avoid it at all costs. Right. Um, so learning to ignore others' thoughts of you. And I don't want to say this and to promote people to be sociopaths, um, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but, I really, but I do really want people to start to think about, like, you know, that, I, I mean, while we don't exist in a bubble and other people's opinions do matter because we can't just sort of exist in isolation, I do think it's sometimes important to remember too that an opinion's just an opinion and like sometimes someone's opinion of us is not what we need and is not really good advice. Um, you know, and some people don't have our best intentions in mind. So, you know, I think and and don't know your whole story. So like others thoughts of you, like please don't let them or I think also projecting what you can be, what like thinking what others could be thinking. Yeah. It's an exhausting mind game to play with yourself. Um, so if you really are sort of getting down that rabbit hole of like, oh my gosh, this person thinks I'm horrible and blah, 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 all these things, but you've never really asked that person what they think of you. Moment of discomfort, ask them what they think of you. Then you have a mutual understanding moving forward. Um, so, um, I think something that I needed help with um, yeah. when I started graduate school mm -hmm. was leaning in and taking criticism. Mm. Um, and so I think sometimes we, we can sort of, as, as graduate students, as young people, um, can have a hard time with learning how to take criticism and learning what this criticism bit is. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, like if we haven't built up that positive psychology, when you get a bit of criticism, all you hear is, you're a terrible person. You're doing everything wrong. Um, and it's like, okay, whoa, hold up. Like, no, what I said was what you did in the situation wasn't correct and I want you to do something better. Um, so sort of going back to that growth mindset and learning how to like take the criticism that maybe a PI is giving to you or a peer is giving to you. and removing yourself from it for a moment and then sort of saying, all right, how can I make myself a better professional by sort of taking that to heart? Um, you know, and there's sometimes might be times where someone's giving you a piece of feedback and you're like, fundamentally disagree, nope. Um, but, you know, I think, I think sometimes leaning into the criticism and sort of saying like, all right, I really need to challenge myself. I need to take this as a challenge. I need to take this as, you know, trying to be a better person, a, a new version of myself, a new version of Joel that I could be. Um, so I, I think going hand in hand with that is like humility versus imposter. So like, once again, not trying to promote narcissism, <laughs> but like, I, I think sort of like trying to figure out like what is sort of like us having our natural humility, having, you know, what's sort of like a realistic being knocked down a few pegs of, because not everything is going to be success in this world, but then like what is also like this humility piece, like sort of getting knocked down a few pegs, like but then what, what is actually this imposter syndrome? So I think trying to figure out like what those two pieces are, because I think sometimes, you know, we can, we can sort of like, we may not get that um, journal article 
you know, into into the journal we wanted it to. Um, and then, you know, we sort of start going down this imposter syndrome rabbit hole when really it can just be humility. Like we can just sort of say, all right, well, I just need to try harder. And then sort of like nipping it in the bud. Once again, sort of setting that boundary with yourself, setting that boundary with your inner saboteur. Right. Like, I'm not going there. Right. Like I refuse to. Like the, that's the next step. Is, yeah. The next journal is going to be higher. Yeah. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work towards that. Yeah. Grow. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, well, or, well, and also, you know, sort of saying, like, I wasn't in the place now to right. get that journal, to, right. get, to get that journal article. And that is an okay thing, you know, and, and sort of saying, like, my expectations might have been a little high for myself. Right. And that's not a bad thing, but, you know, reining that in and not beating yourself up about it, I mm -hmm. think, is the most important thing. Yeah. It's a, this doesn't define me. This is just where I am now. Yeah. Um, and then sort of like the, la the last two things that I would right. sort of say mm -hmm. is, so um, the realistic nature of being an ap academic, okay. um, so imposter syndrome is going to happen. Is going to happen again and again and again and again and again. It's the nature of being in academia. You know, we don't know things. And so we're going to seek out and to create this knowledge um, and to create and disseminate this knowledge. Um, and so all the time being on the cusp of this unknown knowledge, there's always going to be one person or two people or three people who know a few, you know, just a little bit more than you do about this thing. Um, so, you know, I, I think a lot of times, unless you know you're that, like, Nobel Prize winning scientist um, in, in that area, um, but, you know, even those people start to venture out and to try new things, and they start to realize, like, oh my gosh, I'm no longer the top of the field. Um, so, you know, I, I, once again, I think it just goes back to sort of like this, this growth mindset. We're always growing and we have to be lifelong. We have to be lifelong. Um, if we're going to be educators, we have to be lifelong learners as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then lastly, the last thing I would say is have a board of advisors. Don't just have one advisor. If you have one advisor or one mentor, you are going to set yourself up. And I think this is true for career paths. I think this is true for um, professionalism. I think this is true for so many things. But um, having a group of people who can be your mentors, who can be, um, you know, your mentors for different things, um, and then having a few people who can be your advisors and helping in, in these sorts of areas. So like being able to go and talk to your PI about something. Maybe your PI gives you some advice that sort of enhances your feeling of imposter syndrome. Right. That's why you have your board of advisors to be able to go and say, hey, okay, this one person told me this and like I am reeling about it. What do I do? Where do I go? Is this real? Um, and you know, being able to have more people that you can talk to, more than just one who may not know, once again, everything about this one subject, you know. You know, I think people reinforce um, or uh, can inflame imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome um, with not thinking about their words um, right. by, by, you know, saying some things that, that may be a personal trigger for you mm -hmm. um, yeah. or things like that. Right. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, uh, so we're reaching the end. So do you want anything, any last comments you want to, you know, talk about uh, either on imposter phenomena or general health and, or general mental health? Um, yeah, so, so I guess for imposter phenomenon, I would just once again go back to the, like, 
ground rules that I set. I know that that I am using myself as a learning tool, mm-hmm. which you know it may work for some people, may not work for others. But you know, I really think that once again, boundaries, positive psychology, mindfulness, and growth mindset are sort of like really, really, really important for setting yourself up for success for mental health and for imposter syndrome in graduate school and in in career, in life. Um, you know, I, I think learning how to manage and deal with um, your mental baggage um, and, and the things that you bring along with you um, are important parts of being a professional. And so the sooner that you can get into therapy, the sooner that you can get in talking to someone who is a mental health professional about these things, I think the better you are going to be able to be able to be and do in the world. Um, so I would, I would strongly recommend therapy. Um, I would strongly recommend talking to your friends about mental health, about mental health offerings on campus. Um, and I would, I would also sort of say to everyone, start to normalize talking about imposter syndrome in your labs, um, with your friends, with, with fellow graduate students, with fellow academics, um, because I think that's the only way that we're really going to be able to um, really unpack um, the impact and the, the, the damaging impact that imposter syndrome has. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's still a stigma. Mental health is still a stigma. And you know, not talked about enough, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, and and well, and you know, what are what are some ways that us as a us as a community, us as us as scholars, us as uh, graduate students, can better support each other in in um, seeking mental health, in you know, building a positive psychology, um, in sort of finding some of these some of these more digestible bits of of mental health of um, you know like sort of like the larger, you know? Right, yeah. Um, you know, we're taught to make it on your own, right? You're, we're defined by our own merits, but I really like the word support, support each other. And I think that's a really good message to end on. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Joel, for sharing. I think I, I, it really means a lot, yeah. Thank you, yeah, I really appreciate it. This is great. If you are in need of help, please contact Mental Health Services on the Danford campus or Student Health Services on the medical campus. Contact information as well as more resources will be linked in the show notes. If you'd like to see if the imposter phenomena is affecting your mental health, you can try out Pauline Rose Clance Imposter Scale and find out where you rank at paulinerosclance.com.